Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. I am Deacon Jeff, sitting here talking to wonderful pilgrims making their way to Lourdes, France, and we're in the middle of our pilgrimage in such a blessed, blessed time that we're having here. And it's amazing who we meet, and and I love to also, when I've come multiple times, to welcome guests that we've had here in the French Catholic Cafe before, and we have Father Andrew Fisher with us today. Father Andrew, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Deacon Jeff, thank you. Great to see you and be back on the Catholic Cafe. That's exactly right. Well, Father Andrew Fisher is the pastor of St. Ambrose, a lovely little parish in uh, uh, Annandale, Virginia. That's right. right. Annandale, VA, part of the Diocese of Arlington there. Yep, beautiful Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. Wonderful. So, you know, here we are, Father Andrew. We come here. Do you like Father Andrew or Father Fisher? Either one. All right, call you your holiness. Would that be appropriate? <laughs> Stick for Father Andrew today. That'd be great. <laughs> so, you know, we, we come here to Lourdes, and one of the, the beautiful things about Lourdes is not only do people come here for, for you know, for maybe for healing, but, but essentially just the, the grace that's here that, that would take place here. But really, essentially, we're called here by Mary. That's right. It's a right? very holy and special place. Because Mary came to visit. Our, our mother, the church's mother, the, the mother of God, mother of Jesus, came to be here uh, and, and revealed herself, appeared before little St. Bernadette. That's right. Right, humble That's little right. girl. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a place of pilgrimage. And also, I guess, as we stop and think when we're talking about pilgrimage and what we're doing here, especially in Lourdes, we, we remind ourselves as Catholics that sometimes some of the concepts in Catholicism might be a little difficult for some to grasp uh, who are not Catholic, but even for Catholics to kind of fully understand uh, why we do what we do and how we do and, and really what a gift we have in our Catholic faith, right? And so I think that maybe this would be a good opportunity for us to talk about she who called us here, right, to talk about Mary, our, our mother, uh, and uh, really just a, w- the devotions that many Catholics have uh, to Mary. And just really talk about that from that perspective. Does that sound like a, a reasonable thing to do? Or? Absolutely. When I talk to people or people come to learn more about the faith or people come who are curious who aren't Catholic to learn about the Catholic faith, Mary often comes into the conversation. Yeah. And I always reiterate to them the, the teachings of the church that Mary is not an obstacle to Jesus, but rather she is the guide that leads us to Jesus. She is the great example, the, the perfect example of discipleship, that anyone who comes to learn about Mary or to learn from Mary will, in the end, be brought to Jesus. Yeah, and that's so, that's so beautiful. We, we see that all through, uh, well, through God's revelation, through the teachings of the church, but especially in the scriptures. Uh, and always in the tradition of the church, and we'll talk about some of that stuff. And how beautiful that you say that that Mary would 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 lead us to her son. And it really, she's just doing what Jesus said. If you remember the remember the lady that shouts out, you know, blessed are the the breasts that you nursed at. You're right to, to, to the woman, and Jesus say rather blessed, you know. And he turned the focus back to him. And that's not to say that Mary is bad, but to to give us the right perspective, right? And and his mother would wholeheartedly agreed. I don't want you looking at me. 
I want to be the conduit. I'm, I'm fine to be uh, the vessel, right? But it's, the focus is not me. The focus is on my son. Always, all these apparitions, all these things are always turning us to her son. Let's go back for a moment to the scriptures. When we look at Mary, we see in the visitation, Mary has conceived Jesus in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she goes to visit Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We say that's the first Christian missionary. Right. She brings Jesus to others. That's what she does. And Mary brings Jesus. John the Baptist leaps in the womb, or Fulton Sheen says it was the first genuflection given to Jesus. <laughs> and Elizabeth cries out with joy, what a blessing it is that the mother of the Savior would come. We look at Christmas and see that the wise men and when the shepherds came, Mary was there presenting her son. She didn't push them away. She invited them. Come. And if you ever look at a manger scene, there's Mary with arms outstretched, inviting everyone, the shepherds, the wise men, the Jews, the Greeks. There they all are. Come to my son. And also at the famous wedding feast at Cana, when the wedding feast celebration is not going in the right direction, it is Mary who steps forward and tells them, there's my son. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And it says because of that miracle that the crowd's and the disciples first came to believe in Jesus. So if you look at the scriptures, Mary is showing us that if we go to her, she is not the end. Rather, she is the beginning of a new chapter. She leads us to deeper faith in her And I Jesus. love also sticking with the scriptures. I love reading the Magnificat, right? The beautiful prayer that we as uh, clergy and all of the churches invited to pray daily uh, in our evening prayer when we, when we, uh, we, you know, recite the canticle of Mary and we, you know, uh, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. Beautiful prayer. Mary herself said this, uh, but I love the translation says my soul magnifies the Lord. And if you, if you look at that and think about that, that's, that's in a nutshell, Catholic teaching that, that she magnifies Jesus for us. What does a magnifying glass do? Brings us closer to the object. Sure. And so she magnifies the Lord to us. She is saying that when eyes are put upon me, it's not to be put upon me. Rather, right. let me magnify the Lord. Let me put your eyes on the true prize, Jesus. So the early church saw this as well uh, way back when. I mean, it wasn't that all of a sudden we skip 1,800, 1,900, 2,000 years, and now we've developed this teaching about Mary. Really, the early church had a very um, close relationship with his mother, didn't, didn't they? My love is church history, and I did... Uh, years of graduate studies in church history. So when you come to a Lord's or another Marian shrine, you have to ask, how did the devotions of Mary begin? They actually go back to the early church. In the early church, there was a tradition in the Holy Land that Mary and the apostles would often go back to the places of the Passion and pray there. Right. And if you will, although Francis of Assisi is credited with the first stations of the cross, the Franciscans in the Holy Land often say that it was Mary and the, and the apostles would lead people to meditate upon there. So when people came to meet Mary, she led them to reflect on the passion. We think of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is sometimes referred to as also the Gospel of Mary because the Gospel of Luke begins by the story that only Mary could tell, the right. Annunciation, the Visitation. So you look at the early church and say that if Mary was living with John and people were coming to hear the apostles preach and teach, they would have heard Mary. And Luke would have had those questions answered. Tell me more about Jesus, the early years. Right. And Mary would not tell the story about Mary. Rather, she was telling the story about the salvation history, which is her son, Jesus. Which was what she was called to do. That's what her fiat was. Not so much to be, she's not the Savior, right? right. Which is exactly why in our church teaching we don't uh, worship or adore Mary. Right. Right? We, we venerate her. 
we elevate her as, as the highest of created beings. You know, we look and say, this is the perfect model. Right. This is what I want all Christians to be like, you know, to be like Mary. And we make that distinction, certainly. Uh, but we, we, we don't elevate her to the Godhead, obviously. There's, right. it's, it's not a quadrinity. Right, <laughs> right. We often say we follow the example of Jesus, for Jesus honored Mary. Yes. Right? He never said that she was his equal. He never said, I am the Son of God and Mary is my equal. Just the right. opposite. He honored his mother and showed her great devotion. And when she came with a request at the wedding feast to Cana, uh, that son could not refuse his mother. He loved her and gave her great honor. But Jesus was very clear. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And if we look at Mary, she always affirms that. Go to my son. Do whatever he tells you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And even in the early church, there were great hymns. There were poems. There was artwork in the catacombs. The church has, from the very beginning, always had a sense of honoring Mary because it is from her right. that we receive the gift of Jesus. Amen. And Father Fisher, as a historian, you know, um, there's this beautiful prayer. One of the earliest prayers we have about Mary is from 250 A.D., the Subtuum Presidium. Uh, We fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. So right off the bat, by the way, people who complain about you Catholics, Mother of God, where'd you get that from? It's like, well, we just kind of got it from our tradition, which essentially came from God, right? So we fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions in our necessities. But deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. So you, you read in that and you realize, well, so Mary has a lot of uh, uh, import to our, our salvation. It's not that we, we fly to her patronage, right? We're looking for her intercession. And so e- even the early church understood this. We want to go to, we wanna go to, to Jesus' mama. Right. right? If you wanted to get the ear of the child... <laughs> Right, you go to go to mom and say, hey, "Look, I need to talk to you about your son." Right, and that's you know something's going to happen there because the son's not going to refuse his mother. And even the earliest councils of the church, several of them, were all questions that came up in terms of the Greek understanding of the divinity and humanity of Jesus, and that always brought the issue of Mary in. Right, because if you want to understand that Jesus was true God and true man without losing humanity or divinity, right. you have to understand the humanity of Mary and the humanity that she gave to God. So therefore, she could be afforded the title Mother of God because she was the mother of Jesus. There was never a moment where Jesus was quasi-human. He right. was always fully God and fully human. And that came from having an earthly mother. Oh, and that's so beautiful. And it's so important for us to understand all of those things. And again, when we do the, the, the creed, at, at Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. We, we know that was written uh, or started back at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. And you realize why there's like just a little bit about God the Father and just a little bit about God the Son, I'm sorry, of the Holy Spirit. But there's this long section about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And right in the middle, we, 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 we talk about the Incarnation. We talk about uh, Mary. And it's like, well, she had a very important part to play. So it, it really is fitting that we would recognize that and see not only her uh, importance in the incarnation, but as an example, as a living example for all Christians in her life. She she was what we call the first disciple. The moment the angel Gabriel gave the message, she said yes. And she was at all times the perfect disciple. She was there holding our Lord in her arms. She was there listening to him preach. She was there at the foot of the cross. She was there to celebrate the resurrection. The perfect disciple always there 
with her eyes and attention on Jesus. And one of my favorite quotes from St. Augustine, and it's on the, the chapel uh, in the lower level of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., etched in the wall. But St. Augustine said, Before Mary conceived Jesus in the womb, she conceived him in the heart. Um. That the moment that God, through the angel Gabriel, said, The hour has come for, for salvation. Will you say yes and be the mother of the Savior? She said yes. Fiat. Even before she saw Jesus, even before she was the proud mother holding her child, the moment that God, through an angel, said, the hours the Messiah is to come, she said yes. She conceived Jesus first in the heart and then the womb. That's beautiful. Now we have much more to talk about, the devotion to Mary. Uh, we're going to talk more about that in a second. We're going to take a break. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Just imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of one of the twelve and hear the gospel proclaimed firsthand from someone who saw, touched, walked, and talked with the Lord Jesus himself. This is just what St. Polycarp did as a student of St. John, the last of the beloved apostles to die. St. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna and a very holy man. As a member of the second generation of church leaders, he faced many new challenges, challenges even the original 12 apostles did not face. There were many early heresies, challenges to the truth of Christ and the authority of the church. But above all, St. Polycarp was a man of God, and he faced these challenges head-on his entire life. He was a beacon of truth for the early church, the heretic Marcion, who taught error about the nature, existence, and relationship of good and evil, matter and spirit, challenged St. Polycarp, demanding he recognize his heretical sect. Recognize us, Polycarp, he demanded. St. Polycarp responded, I recognize you, yes, I recognize the son of Satan. St. Polycarp was to give his life in service to the church, just as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A very early document, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, tells the heroic story of his death. When in his 80s, St. Polycarp was arrested, he was offered the opportunity to save his own life if he would simply swear his allegiance to Caesar. To this request, St. Polycarp answered, If you imagine that I will swear by Caesar, you do not know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. It was ordered that St. Polycarp be burned at the stake. As the fire was lit, witnesses heard a long and beautiful prayer uttered from the mouth of the saint. In part, they heard, Lord God Almighty, I bless you for having made me worthy of this day and this hour. I bless you because I may have a part, along with the martyrs, in the chalice of your Christ. As St. Polycarp said amen, his captor stoked the fire. But it is reported that the fire did not burn him. It miraculously formed an arch around him, causing him to resemble what the martyrdom document says was gold and silver glowing in a furnace they finally had to stab him to death. St. Polycarp's feast day is February 23rd. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history.
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. We're here uh, in beautiful Lourdes, and I'm here with Father Andrew Fisher. And Father Andrew Fisher is the pastor of St. Ambrose in Annandale, Virginia, in the Diocese of Arlington. And he loves Mary. Absolutely. And we were just talking about saints and, and some of the saints and what they said about Mary. Um, there's several saints who really focused their, really their whole life and their whole mission and ministry around the Blessed Mother. There are. And when people come often to me and say, how do I grow in my faith? How do I learn more about the faith? How do I grow in virtue? I always tell them, well, if you're an athlete, you have to have a good coach. Or if you're going to learn an instrument, you have to have a good teacher. And so Mary is the one who will always, by her example, teach us to grow in faith and virtue. So several saints actually made their spirituality or really teaching the faith united to the example and the the words of Mary. So, for example, St. Louis de Montfort, who was a missionary preacher wandering through France in the 1700s, and Louis de Montfort actually had a a prayer and a program of spiritual development called the Total Consecration to the Blessed Mother, Mm -hmm. where it asked that the person, even the daily things of life, would try their best to imitate Mary. And throughout the scriptures, as we talked earlier, Mary is the example of faith, hope, mm. and love. So even the daily things can be united to Our Lady. And yeah, he beautiful. said that, that the rosary was the school of virtue and that Mary was the road to total holiness. All right, parents, if you want your kids to be virtuous and holy, break out the rosaries that, that you pray them and teach them to pray them. What Absolutely. a great gift. One of the great devotions, uh, the rosary, was a favorite of St. Dominic. St. Dominic lived in the 1100s and was preaching at a time when there was a lot of confusion about the faith. There weren't good Catholic schools or religious education programs or youth groups to go to, especially in rural areas. So he prayed, and Our Lady appeared and gave him the rosary. And he went around preaching the rosary, and he called that the greatest catechism of the church. Mm Because if you pray the rosary, it really is the scriptures and also the teachings of Christ in miniature. And it's really funny that going in rural areas of Europe at the time, it was rather dangerous. So the Dominicans used to say, well, should we bring armor or sword? And he said, no, no, (laughs) the rosary will be the sword. And to this day, that is why Dominicans always have a rosary on their left hip, because you're right-handed, that's where you put your sword. Amen. And so we have St. Dominic, also a great devotee of of praying the rosary. Just really quick, another favorite of mine people might not know is Blessed Bartomeo Longo who was actually an atheist and a philosopher who became a satanic high priest and eventually was converted by praying the rosary. And he lived in Italy, and after his conversion, due to Our Lady, he became a volunteer catechist and usher at Our Lady of Pompeii, which is the great shrine in Italy. Wow. And people would come, and not only would he welcome them, but he'd hold a little catechism class on Our Lady. And people had no idea his checkered past. And here's this man who just spoke glowing about Our Lady. But when John Paul II was dying and wrote his last document, it was uh, an apostolic letter on the rosary, he mentions Bartomeu Largo by name and says that he was one of the greatest theologians of Mary. Wow. And I think, isn't that beautiful that when we're devoted to Our Lady, Literally, she will bring us from point A, wherever that is, and I'm talking big point A's, right. to the beauty of point B, which is our Lord, our faith, the kingdom of God. And we know God. John Paul II I mean, devoted his whole life 
and his whole papacy to Mary. He did. And I guess we should take this as an opportunity to talk about some of the different kinds of devotions that we do. So we've talked a little bit about the rosary, but there's many different devotions within our Catholic faith that some people might not understand fully what's going on, but just can we talk about a few of those? I would say the first devotion of Our Lady is the Scriptures. Right. Anyone who reads the Scriptures, you see Mary, but Mary always points us to Jesus. So what a blessing that wherever we are, whatever time we have, whatever our state and life in the Church, the Scriptures always lead us to Mary, and Mary leads us to Jesus. Of course, we have the Rosary. What a beautiful gift to hold in your pocket, to take with you, to pray in the car. Those few moments allow Mary to give the tour, and no one knows the life of a son better than the mother. That's right. And the mother. Just as a, a quick story, I grew up just outside Washington, D.C., and one of the, th- the obligatory field trips for every school kid was to go to the Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian. Right. And we'd always go and have a very nice tour guide, but one day, we didn't know it, we showed up, it was Astronaut Day, and the tour guide that day was a former astronaut. Wow. And what a difference between someone who had read books about space travel And someone who had actually did it. And I always say that's Mary leading us in the rosary. Mary is not a theologian, nor is she a a scholar. She lived it. She was that woman given a unique and singular role in salvation history who never grows tired of retelling the story to us to the rosary. So the rosary is Amen. great. Amen. That's, that's really cool. Very good. We talk about a novena, nine days of prayer, because when our Lord ascended back into heaven, Scripture tells us for nine days from the ascension to Pentecost, Mary and the apostles prayed for that request for the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we have different novenas or prayers to the Blessed Mother or sometimes under specific titles honoring the Blessed Mother. But right. always it's the imitation of Mary and the apostles, which was the church, in prayer together. So Mary leads the church continuously in prayer for special needs. Another beautiful devotion. What about things like uh, we, we see people wearing these little cloth squares around their neck, little brown and green and, and sometimes other colors like that. But then also there'll, there'll be like little medals. Sure. Uh, I've heard of one called the Miraculous Medal. The miraculous uh, you know, we hear that all the time, right? And I'm sure some people are wondering what, that might, what, what those things might be about. Well, the Miraculous Medal takes us back to Paris to a convent, the Daughters of Charity, at the Rue des Bac, when Our Lady appeared to St. Catherine Labouret and said that she wanted her to spread devotion to, to Mary's maternal love, to answer special needs, even the greatest of needs. And Catherine Labouret remembered the image of Mary as she appeared, and Rather than having it painted, it was put onto a piece of metal, and that was how it was made. And so many prayers were answered, it simply became known as the miraculous right. medal. And there's a famous novena that a lot of parishes do, the uh, novena to the Lady of the Miraculous Medal, reminding us that Mary specifically said, don't hesitate even with big needs. You know, I am your mother. Come to me because whatever need you give to me, I go to my son and he will do it. Amen. And then lastly, I I think you mentioned the the piece of cloth, the scapular. And that's uh, an apparition or a visit of Our Lady to St. Simon Stock, who was the, the head of the Carmelites in England. At a time when the Carmelites were being persecuted uh, in certain areas of the Holy Land during the Crusades and after, and uh, she said, I want you to know that I put my special mantle, my cloak, around the Carmelites, and anyone who shares in their work, so that small piece of brown is actually a, 
uh, symbolically a piece of their habit, their brown right. cloth habit, over the front and the back, just like a friar or, or a monk would wear over the front and back. But it says, I share in the work and spirituality of the Carmelites, and therefore Our Lady will put her mantle over me. And she specifically said to St. Simon Stock and to those who have that devotion, that I will give graces even when under persecution and affliction, even in the moment of death, I will not desert you. So people wear the scapulars, that reminder of Our Lady's promise, and she keeps her promises that in the tough times, even at the moment of death, Our Lady will be there to help us. That's beautiful. So it's a wonderful devotion. So that brings us back. Here we are, and we're in Lourdes, France. We're on pilgrimage, called by our mother. And so we see Mary, again, at work in our world, even today, right, calling all of us who, who, who need her son and leading us to Jesus uh, in the context of healing, but really just really in the context of, of grace. All the apparitions, all, those, all, all the times that, that she, would, she would intercede on our behalf and, 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 and appear to, the, to those in the world, always leading us to her son. Right. We are here in beautiful Lords. People come here as pilgrims. People all have their own story, their own needs, their own intentions. And if you go down to the grotto, you will see people praying for themselves, praying for a loved one, praying for the needs of the church, praying for a physical healing, a spiritual healing, an emotional healing. Everyone here is a witness to the power of God's love and the intercession of Our Lady because no one leaves Lords or no one goes to Our Lady and leaves empty-handed. And I'd just like to point out that when I was studying church history that back in the Middle Ages, it became very common that images of Our Lady had crowns because in the medieval mind, the king had the, the government and the diplomacy and the army, but the queen was often in charge of the charitable works. So the king had the treasury. He had all the wealth and power. And the queen would go and from the king take those treasures and disperse it to the needy. So it's beautiful that Our Lady here at Lourdes or every apparition says, come to me, not that I'm rich and have treasures for you, but rather if you come to me, I will go to my son who has the treasures of heaven and share generously those treasures with and you. And it's good that it's your mother who's distributing those things, right? Because mama's going to cut you the best piece of pie, right? Every mom is generous. <laughs> and our mother, Mary, is very generous. Well, yeah. great. Father Fishy, thank you so much for, for being here in Lourdes, first of all, to be with the Malads, but also just for edifying us on so many uh, different ways in which we can come to know Jesus, but especially through his mother and how beautiful that is. Thank you for being here. Thank with you, us. Deacon Jeff. So we're going to call upon her uh, in, in prayer, as we always do when we're in Lourdes, especially. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee.
Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. 